Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No them. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. A major new lawsuit this week against Gavin Newsom over his vote by mail mandate. New documents on the Obamagate scandal that are going to knock your socks off. The document that got it all started in theory. I'll talk about that. A new smoking gun email information from Susan Rice. Uh, plus, um, what is going on with Attorney General Barr? Is he giving a get-out-of-jail-free card to uh, uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden? I'll talk about that as well. Uh, so a lot's going on this week uh, in terms of the Obamagate scandal. I guess I'll start with the most recent issue first in terms of uh, something that I think was disappointing to a lot of people to hear. Indeed, the President of the United States said he was surprised uh, they had a uh, press conference on an unrelated matter by Attorney General Barr and FBI Director Ray, And uh, Barr uh, went ahead and read what looked like a prepared statement that in part said that um, he, there was no information suggesting there would be a, a criminal investigation needed into Barack Obama and Joe Biden. And um, I don't want to get the exact words here because I don't want to misstate what the good attorney general said. As to President Obama and Vice President Biden, whatever their level of involvement, based on the information I have today, I don't expect Mr. Durham's work will lead to criminal investigations of either man. Uh, either man. Uh, and he complained about the use of uh, politicians to use cr the criminal justice system as a political weapon. And he said that what happened to President Trump was important and a grave injustice. Uh, but of course, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that there's going to be in some ways full accountability for that because he said just because something is illegal or or uh, abusive doesn't mean it's necessarily illegal. Well, you know, frankly, that's an odd position for the Attorney General to take. Uh, you know, frankly, because I think there's more information out there uh, to suggest, and I'll talk about it just in a minute, that Barack Obama and Joe Biden should be targeted for criminal investigations. And he went on uh, in Barr's statement, you can read it online, I'm not going to go through it tit by tit, uh, tit by tat is that the, um, uh, there should be no, he suggested that investigations during election years are inappropriate and that the American people should be making policy decisions on election day uh, and uh, the justice system shouldn't be used to kind of put your thumb on the scales for elections. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but it doesn't mean that candidates for office get a get out of jail free card on election during election years 
We saw that with uh, Hillary Clinton, and evidently it's going to happen with Joe Biden, according to Attorney General Barr. Now, you know, I've been warning you that I did not think there would be serious investigations or prosecutions of senior level officials in the Obama administration. And despite the new evidence, on top of the old evidence that's been out there for some time, that Barack Obama and Joe Biden were intimately involved in the targeting of President Trump or then candidate Trump, candidate elect Trump, uh, you had, um, or President elect Trump, I should say, you had, um, you're having the Attorney General kind of say, well, we're, we're not, you know, no evidence of a crime. Well, I think there is evidence of a crime with all due respect. You have conspiracy, you have conspiracy to obstruct justice, you have conspiracy to misuse classified information, you have misuse of classified information. Now, do I know they committed those crimes? No, for sure. That's a legal question, isn't it? That's for the prosecutors to figure out. But my question is, are they going to even ask Barack Obama a question about it? Are they going to ask Joe Biden a question about it? Are, going to, are they going to question Susan Rice? John Brennan made it clear he hasn't even been questioned. He hasn't even been questioned yet by Durham. So this is what I suspect is going to happen. Uh, the U.S. Attorney Durham is going to create a report. And in that report, it's going to uh, fall along the lines of Barr's criticisms of, of the abuses targeting uh, President Trump by the Obama spymasters. And there's not going to be much in the way of criminal prosecutions flowing out of such reports. So we're eventually going to be getting a glorified IG report and no prosecutions of senior officials. Now, maybe something will happen that will change all of that. I don't see it changing. Not if this is the approach the Justice Department is taking. And uh, the president was probably uh, being charitable when he said he was surprised by uh, Attorney General Barr's statements, because uh, I'm sure he's probably outraged by it. He's been victimized criminally in so many ways. You have General Flynn victimized criminally, in my view, in so many ways. They spied on Carter Page by lying to the courts. And you'll see later they had no good faith reason to open up these investigations to begin with. And Obama was intimately involved in this. He, the White House wanted to know everything. POTUS wants to know everything. Indeed, you had that infamous January 5th meeting, which we now know more about, where Comey and Obama are, are implicated as co-conspirators in this conspiracy against the incoming president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Susan Rice had this memo, and I've talked about this memo before. The media has been ignoring it because it implicates Barack Obama because he's protected by the media. And Barack Obama had a meeting on January 5th during which he talked about the dossier. And as Sally H uh, describes, the phone call between uh, Kislyak, the Russian ambassador, and General Flynn. Yates was shocked by it. And she was also surprised about the comments, it sounds like, about whether or not they were going to be withholding information from the incoming White House. So this memo, Susan Rice wrote, she was involved in the meeting, she wrote the memo uh, the day the president was inaugurated at 12.15 p.m. When did the president take the Oval Office? Is it, is it 
15 minutes before or after that that memo was written. But the fact that I'm asking the question tells you that this memo was written for improper purposes. The paper, the record, indeed, we now find out it supposedly it was written at the behest of Obama White House counsel. And this is the memo that Rice wrote. And it's worth reading because it's evidence that I think Attorney General Barr needs to consider before giving Mr. Obama a get-out-of-jail-free card. On January 5th, following a briefing by IC leadership, intelligence community leadership, on Russia hacking during the 2016 presidential election, President Obama had a brief follow-on conversation with FBI Director Jim Comey and Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates in the Oval Office. Vice President Biden and I were also present. President Obama began the conversation by stressing his continued commitment to ensuring that every aspect of this issue is handled by the intelligence and law enforcement communities, quote, by the book, unquote. Do you believe that? Who talks like that in a meeting? I just want to go on record that I want everything to be done by the book. And then, of course, they then proceed to talk about how to do things not by the book. The president stressed that he's not asking about initiating or instructing anything from a law enforcement perspective. He reiterated that our law enforcement team needs to proceed as it normally would by the book. This is, these are lawyer words. This isn't truth. From a national security perspective, however, President Obama said he, neither, he wants to be sure that as we engage with the incoming team, we are mindful to may, may ascertain if there is any reason we cannot share information fully as it relates to Russia. So they were going to deny the incoming president of the United States intelligence information about Russia? Yeah. Director Comey affirmed that he is proceeding, quote, by the book, again, in quotes, as it relates to law enforcement from a national security perspective. Comey said he does not have, that he does have some concerns that incoming NSA Flynn, National Security Advisor Flynn, is speaking frequently with Russian Ambassador Kislyak. Comey said that he, that could be an issue as it relates to sharing sensitive information President Obama asked that Comey was saying that the NSC should not pass sensitive information related to Russia to Flynn. Comey replied, potentially. He added that he has no indication thus far that Flynn has passed classified information to Kislyak, but he noted that, quote, the level of communication is unusual. Well, that's the new paragraph, by the way, that just come out. I'm going to go back to it. The president asked Comey to inform, if anything, inform him if anything changes in the next few weeks that should affect how we share classified information with the incoming team, Comey said he would. I, uh, I want you to think about what I just read to you. You had, the Barack, you had Barack Obama and his FBI director basically smearing the incoming national security advisor based on nothing. Comey says he didn't share classified information with the Russians. They had already talked about the call, by the way, so they knew what he had said to the Russians. So in, in Implicit in this is he did nothing wrong. If you want to know why they had no bait, more, if you want to know that there was no basis to investigate Flynn on the calls to the Russians, you have it here because they're talking about it. And Comey said, oh, well, you know, I'm nervous. He's talking to him too much. Well, what business of it, if it is him, his? 
this is Comey just smearing Flynn. And they talk about potentially seditiously undermining the incoming president of the United States by refusing to provide intelligence information to his top deputy on national security matters, General Flynn. And sure enough, if they were so concerned about it, why didn't they tell President Trump about it? They were going to visit him the next day. Oh no, wait, that was something else they had planned because they weren't going to quote, brief him in any reasonable way about what was going on. They were going to confront him with the salacious and unverified P-tape dossier. Another ambush interview. So this Oval Office meeting, you had two issues, three issues pop up here. You had the Flynn conversations pop up, which as we now know, they all acknowledge were an improper. You had the dossier confirmation uh, discussion uh, pop up. Again, salacious and unverified. They all knew that wasn't true, yet they were going to try to ambush the president the next day. Obama was briefed on that. So here you have Obama at the scene of the crime. So I'm a little perplexed that you have the attorney general essentially say, well, I don't, there's no information to suggest any criminal activity here. I think this is information that suggests something that at least needs to be investigated, don't you? It's, it's really disturbing that the Justice Department, and I, I know uh, I've been saying it for some time, but we got to really focus on it, that the, you have this criminal activity going on at senior levels, these major abuses, and there's been no serious investigation of it. No one's been questioned in any senior ranks. And it's too late to do much of anything because, as Attorney General Barr mentions, it's an election year. Although he says the rules against Justice Department rules against indicting candidates during election year, that they kind of frown upon it, doesn't imply because the people they are thinking of indicting aren't candidates. What does that tell you if you're Joe Biden? Hey, I'm free. Nothing to worry about. Burisma, they won't do anything on Burisma. China, they're not doing anything on China. Yeah, I don't worry. I I told the Ukrainian leaders that they were going to lose a billion dollars unless they fired that prosecutor who coincidentally was investigating my son's company. Oh, yeah, and they did it. No, they won't be investigating that for a shakedown. Oh, don't worry. They won't be investigating China giving a sweetheart major concession to my son's company worth a billion and a half dollars or so. A business that was effectuated that was effectu effectuated on a trip that he took with me to China. Oh, I'm free and clear there. And meanwhile, Susan Rice, who's who's serving as the cover-up artist here, as I've been saying again, I'll say it again. I've been saying many times before, and I'll say it again. Susan Rice is now uh, chairing the Reopen DC initiative, which means that DC is still closed for the foreseeable future. So you got the coronavirus and Obamagate on holy mix with Susan Rice running a show here in DC.
And concurrently with this, you've got Judge Sullivan engaged what I'm calling in his, on, um, and this is a nice way of putting it, engaged in what I'm calling judicial adventurism against uh, General Flynn. He's appointed this uh, anti-Trump judge, anti-Flynn judge, to try to prosecute him, even though the government said he doesn't want to, they, they don't want to prosecute him on this charge. Now, Judge uh, uh, General Flynn's lawyers filed a writ of mandamus. You may have heard that phrase again before from me, because that's what Hillary Clinton tried to do. It's an emergency motion. To, to overturn an unlawful act by a judge, essentially. And uh, what happened is that the appellate court, the appellate panel who received the writ, told Judge Flynn, Judge uh, Sullivan, that he had until June 1st to respond personally, which is rather unusual because judges often don't have to respond personally to these types of motions. I don't, I'm not aware of it happening recently. Uh, so this is uh, a signal that the panel is pretty upset with Judge Flynn. And in the order, uh, they referenced this Fokker decision, F-O-K-K-E-R. You can look it up online. People talked about it as it relates to General Flynn. And the Fokker decision said that uh, it's a circuit decision, which means it's um, in theory binding on Judge Sullivan, that um, you know judges can't play prosecutors. They can't play attorneys. They can't play U.S. attorneys which is what Judge Sullivan seems to be doing. So I'm hoping that Judge uh, Sullivan uh, is reminded of the rule of law and quickly so that General Flynn doesn't have to be tortured any further with needless court proceedings. So we'll see what happens there. And of course, the left is uh, taking uh, seriously Judge uh, Sullivan's invitations to participate in this case. Uh, and uh, you, there's trying to paper the record with all this anti-Flynn, anti-Trump propaganda, uh, suggesting the judge is, is well within his rights to usurp the power that our Constitution grants the executive branch to prosecute cases. He gets to be the judge and prosecutor at the same time. It's incredible. You know, and it just proves to you, because again, I keep on telling you, the left doesn't care, not everyone on the left, but the political, the political hard left, in this case, the Obama-Clinton gang, they don't care one whit about the Constitution and your civil liberties. I mean, they're willing to endorse the worst type of government abuse to means getting their political enemies, achieving power, retaining power, you name it. And they're doing it again with General Flynn. In fact, there was another leak targeting Flynn just the other day saying his name, quote, wasn't unmasked in the records. Well, that's, again, information that's classified and protected in theory by the Privacy Act. Another leak. Of course, you know, it's it's like, uh, don't you love this argument? Well, you know, his, his invest, the FBI had the conversation, allegedly, of the Kislyak-Flynn communication, had the transcript of the conversation. And because it was the FBI doing it, they didn't need to unmask it because it wasn't quote foreign intelligence surveillance covered by the unmasking regulations. Well, that's ridiculous. It was private. So when it was disseminated, it was unmasked. 
because someone technically didn't ask to have it unmasked, it's Boulder Dash. And plus, I don't believe it anyway, because we got the information that the chief of staff, the president, unmasked Flynn's name as well, Barack Obama. So Barack Obama's tied to unmasking. But they're, they're just continuing the coup gate, the coup gate, I guess that's a new one, Obama gate, leaking, targeting, victimizing. General Flynn, of course, it's all about getting President Trump as well. So the Justice Department isn't doing much in the way of justice recently. Uh, so uh, once again, it's up to Judicial Watch. We can't prosecute anyone, but the least we can do is try to get the information out. And this is why Rich Grinnell, who, by the way, the uh, acting DNI, Director of National Intelligence, who declassified this document, and you can see there was no reason to keep it classified. There's no reason to keep it classified other than to cover up Obama and Comey's malicious attacks on and plans against President Trump, uh, President Trump, yes, and General Flynn. Classification in politically sensitive matters like this is rarely there about protecting national security. It's often about protecting someone from embarrassment or being exposed for wrongdoing. In, in this case, arguably criminal wrongdoing. So uh, this is something that people have been asking for to be fully disclosed for some time and it's taken years to do it. And thank you, uh, Director of National Intelligence Grinnell, who now I guess is no longer to be acting director because uh, John Ratcliffe, who is the Congressman from Texas or was, has been confirmed by the Senate. And it was interesting because uh, uh, Ratcliffe was opposed by the establishment Republicans in the Senate last year when he was first nominated and they had to pull his name. Uh, but uh, then President Trump put Grinnell in there and uh, that sped Ratcliffe along because they couldn't stand the thought of Grinnell doing any more uh, swamp draining while having that Office of Director of National Intelligence position. So uh, it's, it's uh, kind of uh, odd how Washington works in that regard. Uh, speaking of declassification, we did get uh, the Justice Department, thankfully, and credit to them for following the law here finally after years, to declassify a key document that many had been seeking. Devin Nunes had been seeking this, this classification. Uh, the president had authorized its declassification years ago, but the Justice Department stalled on doing so. Uh, the IG referenced the document, and it's called the Electronic Communication. And it's the document that was used to open Crossfire Hurricane, the counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign's alleged collusion with the Russians. Now, I think this is kind of a uh, baloney document in the sense that they were probably spying on Trump beforehand, but this is the official opening of the investigation. And of course it was written by Peter Strzok, who is the corrupt FBI official who hated Trump and loved Hillary Clinton. And uh, we have the text messages showing that it was a group, uh, it was a group uh, effort. And um, I see one of my kids in the corner here. We can see you. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was a group effort by the uh, FBI in terms of concocting this document. And uh, parts of it were 
quoted in the Inspector General's report on the FISA gate abuse, but we still didn't have the whole document. And so what Judicial Watch did was that we asked for the entire document from both the FBI and the Justice Department. We just asked for the one document. Turns out it's a two-page document, not even two pages. And it is a uh, detailed, seemingly third-hand information that the Russian government, quote, had been seeking prominent members of the Donald Trump campaign in which to engage to prepare for potential post-election relations should Trump be elected president. Well, why is that an issue? Why would that be an issue? Trump was the presumptive nominee for the Republican Party, and the Russian government was interested in talking to people on Trump's team about what the Trump, a new Trump administration might do in terms of policy. How is that illegal? It's not illegal. It's pretextual in terms of being used as a reason or an excuse to spy on Trump. The document also alleges Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos claimed to be claimed to an unnamed party, kind of have information who that unnamed party likely is, that they, the Russians, could assist the Trump campaign with the anonymous release of information during the campaign that would be damaging to Hillary Clinton. The document notes it was unclear whether he, Papadopoulos, or the Russians were, he being Papadopoulos, or the Russians, were referring to material required publicly through other means or through other means. It was unclear how Mr. Trump's teams reacted to the offer. We note that Trump's team reaction could in the end have little bearing on what Russia decides to do with or without Mr. Trump's cooperation. Okay, I just read you the core reasons for opening up this investigation. Did you find any of them persuasive? They're absurd and not serious, and they show there was no good faith basis to open up an unprecedented spy operation against this administration, meaning Obama's administration's political opponent and the nominee for the opposing political party for president. As I say, no wonder the DOJ and FBI resisted the public release of this information. Shows there was no serious basis for the Obama administration to launch this unprecedented spy operation on the Trump campaign. We have no more proof that Crossfire Hurricane was a scam. It's a scam based on absurd gossip and innuendo. It's Exhibit A to Obamagate, really, isn't it? It's Exhibit A to Obamagate, the worst corruption scandal in American history. And it shows how, remember, Attorney General Barr and U.S. Attorney Durham suggested they disagreed with the IG's conclusion that they had a predicate to open up the investigation. You can see they didn't have any predicate that was legitimate. This, this is the basis for all the spying on Carter Page, the targeting of Flynn, the targeting of Manafort, and the spying on President Trump when he was candidate. And you can see they didn't have anything to stand on. And it ends with this drama based on the information provided by Legat, which is an official the embassy. This inf investigation is being opened to determine whether individuals associated with the Trump campaign 
are witting of or coordinating activities with the government of Russia. They did it because they could, not because they needed to, but because they wanted to. They had this power and they saw no, nothing that they could stop them from abusing it. This document shows there was no good faith basis to seriously take any of this. And now we know that months after, in the months after this investigation began, it became clear that this Papadopoulos uh, angle was bunk. And they never found any evidence of any collusion. They knew initially there was never any evidence of collusion. They knew. In 2016, they knew that they, they were desperate. They, remember, they started, Judicial Watch found how they were paying, paying Christopher Steele, the FBI was. Yet the Obama administration using your tax dollars to pay Clinton's spy Steele, who was writing the dossier for information. It was a joint operation between the Clinton campaign, the Obama FBI, and who knows what else in terms of who else in terms of foreign intelligence operations. They met with Steele 11 times in 2016. We got the documents. Excuse me, they met with him 13 times and they paid him 11 of those times. Then they cut him off and then they started working with Steele's business partner, associate wife, Nellie Orr's husband, Bruce Orr in the Justice Department to talk to, talk to Steele. They were desperate to get Steele back in. Why were they desperate? Because the information they gave him, he gave them, the dossier wasn't panning out. And as Mueller's about to be appointed, the text messages between Page and Strzok confirmed there's no there there. They said that. I fear there's nothing there. So you have to, when I, you have to place this in context here or place everything else that happened in context with this. They initiated this collusion charade. And they found nothing. General Flynn was targeted as a result of this document. He was targeted for spying. And on January, in January 4th, I think, we got the document. It's out there, it's public now. They were forced to give it to Sidney Powell, Flynn's lawyer. They concluded there was no viable case against Flynn. And as I just told you, yet that within minutes, Relatively speaking, you had Comey and Obama and Rice and Yates conspiring against Flynn, even though they know he did nothing wrong to use law enforcement resources against him. Ultimately led to that ambush interview in which, or during which he didn't lie. He didn't lie. So this is the, this is the holy grail. This is the holy grail, this document. And Judicial Watch got it out. Not the Justice Department. It wasn't voluntarily released. It was released pursuant to a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. I don't know if there was a court order for it. But it wasn't voluntarily released. And now, uh, 
we have more documents who are, again, weren't voluntarily released to Sidney Powell. She forced the Justice Department to turn them over because she insisted on it. This document, again, wasn't voluntarily given to Judicial Watch. It came out because we sued for it. And uh, the key Flynn documents that just came out recently were came out because Sidney Powell forced the Justice Department to turn them over. They were hiding them for years. And what does this cover up? Senior level misconduct at the, at the top of the Obama administration targeting President Trump. And again, this is a document that everyone's been looking for, but only Judicial Watch was able to get. And it makes you wonder what else is out there. I mean, Judicial Watch can only do so much. What else are they hiding? Well, we kind of do know what else they're hiding. The FISA warrants still haven't been completely released. There's more information in them. There may be other FISA warrants. We asked, for instance, for a FISA warrant application filed against Flynn. I don't know if they were spying on Flynn through FISA. And the response we got was uh, they couldn't confirm or deny that. Of course, the unmasking material is still largely secret, even though uh, uh, Rick Rennell released some of it. The text messages that Page and Strzok are still largely secret. They're refusing to release any of them under FOIA. Page struck emails are still secret. They're releasing them to us in dribs and drabs. They don't want to release them all to us until the middle, well, at this point, until they'll probably go into 2022. 2022? They're sitting on it. This FBI, this Justice Department is sitting on it. Their text messages with Andy McCabe, they don't want to release. Unbelievable. We're fighting in court. We're fighting in court. We're the only ones doing it. You shouldn't say that. Maybe there are other people filing lawsuits, but as you know, we're the most prominent ones doing it. Much of what we know about Russiagate is because of Judicial Watch. I want to be clear on that. You know, all that IG report gave us additional information, but a lot of it was already out there. It shows you how corrupted the Justice Department and the FBI are institutionally that it requires a third, a little old group like Judicial Watch uh, to get this basic information out there through litigation, through litigation. And when I say litigation, you know what that means? It means we've asked for a document or documents that we have a right to under federal law and the agency is refusing to turn it over to us. And in many cases, the agency that's refusing to follow the law is the Justice Department. Who's responsible for the law breaking at the Justice Department on a regular basis on transparency law? If a corporation regularly violated federal law, what would happen to that corporation? Be shut down, wouldn't it? We're happy to do the lawsuits, but it's outrageous. We got to sue the Justice Department to get the Justice Department and to get the FBI to follow the law. So every time you hear that we've had to file a FOIA lawsuit, you should be ticked off because it means there's a government agency not following the law. And we only sue on probably 
of the requests we make. Because we make thousands of requests, thousands, almost all of which are ignored or, or, or just dragged along, which is the same. So there's that. So we have another crisis in California caused by more lawless conduct by the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, and this time it relates to elections. Uh, he has imposed a vote-by-mail mandate statewide that is both in violation of the Constitution and of California state law. We are suing the uh, governor in federal court. We're also suing Secretary of State uh, Alex Padilla in federal court as well for this mandate. And what the mandate does, it requires all counties to sell, send ballots to everyone on their voting list. Now that requires, and that's not what the law is in California. And our constitution says, legislatures are the ones who make changes to election law. Legislatures. I'll read you this. I'll read you the constitutional the constitutional text. According to the US Constitution, only state legislatures may determine, quote, the time, places, and manner of holding elections for senators or representatives. And only state legislatures may establish the manner in which electors to the electoral college are appointed. So that's the presidential contest. So Governor Newsom, using the excuse of the coronavirus, has come in and told every county they've got to send in vote by mail ballots or or send out vote by vote uh, ballots to everyone on the list. Now we also allege that the Newsom mandate violates the Voters Choice Act of 2016, which is a California law. So he wasn't he wasn't isn't just the Constitution, there's a California state law. It grants counties the option to qualify for and opt in to assist in mail-in voting. Uh, we argue the law reflects the legislature's deliberate choice to delegate to each county the decision about whether to qualify and opt in to the all-mail ballot system. During the March 3rd, 2020 primary, which is the most recent one, only 15 of the California's, California's 58 counties had opted in and qualified for the all-mail ballot program. If you're gonna do it, you gotta be able to do it right. That's why there's this process. And now um, Governor Newsom has blown that up. The lawsuit alleges and the plaintiffs are voters who happen to be, I believe, like Republican, Democrat, and independent. So it's a nonpartisan issue. And we also represent Dal Issa, who is a candidate for Congress. He used to be a congressman, now he's running again uh, for a seat to get back in. Uh, the lawsuit alleges plaintiffs will be harmed by Newsom's mandate for uh, an all-male all voting because it imposes an entirely new election system that ignores the extensive qualifications required by California law before a county can opt in to all-male balloting. Now, Judicial Watch argues that uh, our, the plaintiffs, our voter clients, will be at risk of having their throats, votes thrown out or diluted under Newsom's illegal system. 
And of course, ISA will have to spend all sorts of money that it shouldn't have to spend and additional, additional resources uh, to respond to the legal mandate uh, as he continues his campaign. So we're now in federal court. It's unconstitutional. It may cause the votes of countless votes, voters to be thrown out or not counted, which is a major, major issue. And California law actually specifically prohibits this, which is blindly mailing out ballots to every registered voter in the state. I mean, of course it raises the risk of election day chaos and voter fraud. You've seen the stories. Ballots sitting outside postal boxes. And uh, we highlighted uh, Los Angeles County tried to do this and it was a nightmare. It's chaos. And they had opted in. And now he's trying to force all the counties to do it when they're not ready and they don't want to. And the law doesn't allow him to do it on his own. That's the important part. It's a power grab. Forget about the fraud issue, it's a power grab. Now, of course, generally speaking, there's an issue of mailing to registered voters if the voter lists are dirty. We're in the process because of a settlement we have with Los Angeles County. Los Angeles County is uh, removing up to 1.6 million names on the rolls. A lot of those names are still there. Are they going to be getting these ballots? I don't know. This is why we're suing. That's why our clients are concerned. That's why Daryl Ice is concerned. The left is trying to blow up our elections. See, the president got upset, and rightly so, about the uh, Michigan Secretary of State just mailing absentee ballots to everyone, or ballot applications, I should say, mailing ballot applications, absentee ballot applications to everyone. So you can see how that just invites risk. It increases the risk of fraud. Do I have to explain that to you? When you've got a lot of ballots floating around or applications for ballots floating around in the mail system, the bad guys can take advantage of it. The most secure way to vote is in person. I know they say the coronavirus is getting, no, no. This was their plan from the beginning. This was their number one priority for the left. Nancy Pelosi's first bill that she introduced when she retook the Congress, in the House at least, was called H.R. 1, and it has all of this in it. Vote by mail, ballot harvesting, ending voter ID, and now they're just using coronavirus as an excuse. So I tell you, I love Judicial Watch. I love Judicial Watch, obviously, because I'm president of Judicial Watch, but I love Judicial Watch is because we're doing so much in this area. So I love it as an American citizen. We have a lawsuit in North Carolina to clean up the rolls, nearly a million names there or so. A lawsuit in Pennsylvania to clean up the rolls, a new one filed just recently, all done within the last month or so. 800,000 names there. We have this California lawsuit that's trying to stop Governor Newsom from flooding our system with millions of ballots. I mean, it's tens of millions of ballots that would go out under this. It's crazy. 
And I don't know where the Justice Department is. They're not doing anything. So it's Judicial Watch, once again, doing the heavy lifting on cleaning up elections, making sure that your votes aren't messed with and that the elections of 2020 are as free from chaos and fraud as we can. Uh, but as I said, this is a state-by-state -state battle. We're trying to do it nationally. It will be more difficult to do it nationally because uh, the Senate, and obviously President Trump isn't gonna sign anything like that. So they're doing it state-by-state. just because your state's run by quote republicans don't think this won't go on <laughs> i don't need to tell you many of our supporters that republicans often do the wrong things when pressed by the left and the left is going to come in and start screaming about oh you're you know people shouldn't have to choose between their lives and their votes it's ridiculous you can go to walmart you can go to the polling place you can go to a grocery store you can go to a polling place I don't know about you, but I think it's a bad idea to throw out voter ID, turn over our election system to the United States Postal Service. I think it's a bad idea. And in many ways, the law doesn't allow it. And in the case of Gavin Newsom, the law clearly doesn't allow what his scheme is, which is to flood the system with tens of millions of ballots by requiring counties to mail ballots, it's crazy. You can't do it. He's not a dictator. Though this coronavirus is turning a lot of these governors into petty dictators. Now we always have to protect our liberty. We really do. I know it's Memorial Day coming up. And I wanna say a few words about Memorial Day, but you know, we had all these American heroes die protecting our rights, die protecting our nation, protecting our republic. And this is what's happening. We have a military that is vigilant, but as citizens, we also need to be vigilant. If we're gonna vindicate that ultimate sacrifice, in the least we have to make sure that the liberties they die to preserve aren't being encroached without objection by us. Don't you think? And uh, I'd like to think that Judicial Watch is, is um, vindicating the sacrifices of our, those who fall, those who fell in defense of our country. Memorial Day has always been a nice, uh, a special day for me because uh, I know what it, it goes, you know, it, it was it's a on a on a Monday because of the federal uh, the federal uh, holiday, but the traditional Memorial Day is May thirtieth, which happens to be my birthday. So I've always I've had an affinity for Memorial Day, and uh, so I, I hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day. Uh, I just want to give a, a special recognition to one of Judicial Watch's clients, Bob Rosebrock, who is a Vietnam veteran, who has been. He's really an American hero. He has been protesting and leading protests outside the key VA facility in the heart of Los Angeles. I think he, every Sunday for like 264 months, weeks, 
some, some astonishingly large number of uh, protests. And they tried to put him in jail, allegedly, uh, uh, over his uh, posting of a small, you know, these little flags that are, you know, like an index card wide. He supposedly put that in the giant wrought iron fence and they arrested him for that. And Judicial Watch had to come in and represent him in a federal case and get him off. And they're still harassing him over it. They're still trying to get him over it. And uh, this facility is designed for homeless veterans. And of course, it's not used for homeless veterans largely. It has its dog park, baseball fields, uh, all sorts of facilities that have nothing to do with what it's supposed to be used for. And, uh, and Bob had to work to just to get tents into the facility for the homeless vets that are camping on the outside of the facility. It's so bad that Judicial Watch gave a little bit of a contribution so they could get bigger tents because the VA was putting in these pup tanks that the older veterans couldn't even get into. And Bob is having another protest on Memorial Day. So if you're in Los Angeles, you know, you drive by, if you're allowed to, you know, say hello or go out there and show his, show your support for him. But um, so the Judicial Watch does a lot of other work with veterans as well. And, uh, but that, I thought that was something that I, I'd highlight for you on this Memorial Day. So have a great week. I want you to uh, hopefully enjoy the holiday. Hopefully it's different than the rest of the week for those of you who would shut down. Uh, but uh, you can be sure that Judicial Watch is fighting for your freedom and for your constitution uh, even during uh, this uh, coronavirus emergency. Uh, we've got these major lawsuits and these major, major revelations coming out, uh, even though uh, the media and uh, the establishment wants to do nothing but focus on uh, destroying our republic. So thank you for your support. We can't do it without you. And I'll see you next week here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.